You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. What role does vitamin D play in ensuring cardiovascular health? And should clinicians routinely test patients for vitamin D deficiency? Our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Anderson, Vice Chair, Department of Medicine for Research and Associate Chief of Cardiology and Director of Cardiovascular Research at the Intermountain Medical Center. He's also Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Anderson. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you today. So we're going to talk about vitamin D deficiency, and maybe we could start with the prevalence and let us know who's at risk for getting deficient in vitamin D. Well, it turns out that it's extremely common. Of all the vitamins, it's the most common that we see. And in our own population, as we've reviewed the records from Intermountain Healthcare, about 60% or so of patients who have had a vitamin D measurement made by their physician for various reasons actually are either insufficient, that is, they have lower than optimal levels, we've defined it as less than 30 nanograms per ml, or frankly deficient, and, and there are different cutoffs, but we just for purpose of this discussion, less than 15 nanograms per ml. So it's very common, and I think it has to do with our lifestyle. We're not getting out in the sun as much. We're told by the dermatologist, you know, to wear sunblock. Uh, we're spending more time in front of the computer or television, and we're living at higher latitudes. And so, especially during the winter, uh, the angle of the sun is such that uh, most of the UVB light that creates vitamin D as it interacts with enzymes in our skin is filtered out. Well, Jeff, you've made me worry about my children. I have one computer engineer living in Amsterdam and a daughter volleyball player in Southern California. So he is certainly at risk. Absolutely. And (laughs) we believe that that might actually have consequences because in many ways, vitamin D appears to act more like a hormone than just a specific vitamin for one or two purposes, if you will. Vitamin D receptors have been found in almost every major organ system in the body. So not just bone and muscle, but certainly the cardiovascular system, both in the heart and in the blood vessels. And of course, that's why it uh, has become of great interest for uh, cardiovascular risk assessment as well. Well, in fact, you've done a prospective analysis pretty recently. Talk to us about that. Yes, well, based on reports that really just been coming out in the last, let's say, four or five years, we took an interest in that. We have a large electronic medical database here at Intermountain Healthcare, and so we searched uh, the electronic medical records database to determine the prevalence of vitamin D deficiency and the relationship then of vitamin D levels to both prevalent and incident cardiovascular risk factors in diabetes, including mortality. That was really our question. And we were able to find over 41,000 patient records with at least one measured vitamin D level. And as I mentioned, the prevalence of vitamin D insufficiency or deficiency was about 64%, and there were only minor differences by gender or age. So men and women, sort of all ages, And what was further of interest is that there were highly significant increases in the prevalence of common cardiovascular risk factors, certainly diabetes and hypertension, big ones, modestly hyperlipidemia as well, and peripheral vascular disease. Those without risk factors but with severe 
deficiency had an increased likelihood of developing these during follow-up. So, uh, of course, we searched the database prospectively from when that first level was drawn in those that hadn't had a diagnosis, and there was an increased incidence or new onset of diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. Now, I know you've made a point to profess or to explain the limitations of this type of analysis. Let's make that clear. Yes, obviously, this is retrospective. These patients had vitamin D levels drawn by their physician for specific reasons, so we always have to be concerned about selection bias Mm -hmm. in these. So, obviously, this is hypothesis generating, but the fact that this is such a large database and that uh, we really could not correct for most of the risk, even when we did adjust for baseline differences. What was of interest is that that also seemed to be true for the development of incident death, as well as heart failure, and coronary disease and myocardial infarction, as well as stroke, and their Mm -hmm. composite. So those were all things of concern, and obviously, that leaves the question, though, even if these associations are true, are they causal, and can we correct them? by uh, supplementing the diet with vitamin D, which one can do fairly inexpensively. And uh, that's where the controversy comes in, because as we know from past experience with uh, other vitamins, that simply supplementing with vitamin A or vitamin B or vitamin C or folic acid or vitamin E really hasn't uh, improved cardiovascular outcomes. And so we go into this with some build-up skepticism. And that's why I think prospective trials are needed to tell us whether this is an association or is it causal that we can treat with supplementation. Your studies are not alone. There are supportive studies linking deficiency with cardiovascular risk. Yes, ours is just one of several studies. And again, I think the majority do suggest an increased risk. Uh, Some of them suggest that much of the association is related to other risk factors that go along with vitamin D deficiency. For example, somebody who's sick will spend more time indoors. Someone's healthier might spend more time outdoors, or it might have to do with, uh, you know, renal insufficiency, kidney disease, which by itself is a very strong risk factor. Or parathyroid hormone, which rises when vitamin D levels uh, fall, and that might have some causal implications. So there are all these questions, but I'd say on the whole, the majority of evidence does suggest a real association with vitamin D deficiency. And there's some actually pretty interesting basic science studies, free clinical studies and animal models and so forth that do suggest that uh, supplementation might help. There are also studies in patients with renal failure that supplementing, where there's often vitamin D deficiency, that supplementing with vitamin D leads to better outcomes than those that aren't supplemented. But in the general population, uh, we just need evidence from randomized uh, studies. And there's one that's underway. The vital study out of Boston is underway. And we hope that in a few years from that study, maybe some others will have a definitive answer. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. It's the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Anderson. He's vice chair, Department of Medicine Research, and associate chief of cardiology and director of cardiovascular research at Intermountain Medical Center. He's also the professor of internal medicine at the University of Utah School of Medicine. We've been talking about the link between vitamin D deficiency and cardiovascular disease. Jeff, I'll tell you, I was in practice for almost a quarter of a century. I never ordered a vitamin D level. Tell us what the symptoms of a vitamin D deficiency are. 
Well, and I must admit, until five years ago, or maybe even three years ago, I didn't either. But uh, you know, most commonly, it's asymptomatic, except that through these various diseases where there's an increased risk. On the other hand, obviously, we associate it mostly with bone and joint and muscle. And so myalgias or arthralgias, bone pain might be a symptom where there's severe deficiency. And if a deficiency is found, and I noticed that you separated those into mild or and deficient, the less than 30 and less than 15, if a deficiency is detected, do you recommend supplements? And if so, give us a range of the doses. That's a very good question. And I must have mentioned that there is a recent Institute of Medicine report on vitamin D that was much awaited. And they basically came out with a rather conservative statement relating to that, indicating, as I mentioned, a lack of evidence that routine supplementation is useful and also the implications of how widely we should measure vitamin D levels. I think it's fair to say that about 800 units per day is probably what we should be getting as minimum instead of just 400 units. And up to 4,000 units a day appears to be quite safe. So toxicity doesn't appear to develop except very rarely at supplement levels beyond that. I think if one were going to supplement, one can either do it empirically with maybe one to 2,000 units or depending on how deficient the patient is, possibly higher amounts initially to get them loaded, 5,000 units a day or 50,000 units a week have often been used for two or three months to get the level into the normal range if one is titrating, which I personally prefer because I want to be safe. I want to get them in the normal range. I don't want to overshoot. But there is a fair window where one is not likely to become toxic as long as one stays at less than 4,000 units per day. And the supplementation is all oral? That's right. One can pick up at uh, you know a lot of grocery stores or certainly health food stores, pharmacies, just small little pills that contain either vitamin D2 or D3. I personally prefer D3, which is sort of the animal form as opposed to the plant form. But uh, yes, these are all oral supplements. Do we have any data indicating that uh, detection of a vitamin D deficiency is additive in any way with in someone who already has cardiovascular risk factors? We looked at that and tried to adjust uh, for these other risk factors in terms of the effect of vitamin D on risk. And obviously, there is some attenuation of that risk association, particularly as one takes into account renal failure, which often goes along with it, and uh, other risk factors. But still, there was a, a fairly significant, in our own database at least, residual risk associated with vitamin D deficiency itself. Now, if one is going to measure, though, vitamin D levels, instead of doing it in everybody, which really becomes quite expensive, I think focusing in on patients who are likely to be deficient, that might be those that spend a lot of time indoors or patients who are darker skinned, so they aren't as sensitive to UV light in terms of generating vitamin D, or those that have some of the illnesses I've mentioned, risk factors like diabetes and hypertension, coronary heart disease, and heart failure, those are the diseases that uh, seem to be most tightly associated with vitamin D and where we'd like to be sure they're not vitamin D deficient, I think that would be the place probably to start. Jeff, you mentioned the VITAL study. Are there other studies? Maybe you could identify the gaps in our knowledge and where you'd most like to see research go. 
Well, the vital study, I believe it's Dr. Madsen's at PI in Boston, funded by NIH, has been underway, I believe, for the past year or so, is looking at vitamin D supplements, and as I recall, it might be in the range of 2,000 units per day. And also, the other right now darling of the supplement business is omega-3 fatty acids. And those are the two that right now there's the most interest in because there's the most evidence that that actually might be useful in a more general population than some of the other vitamins we've tested in the past. So that's underway. I'm not aware of any other study right now on a large scale that's underway, but there certainly is the need for that because I think that one could criticize, as with any study, the Boston study, the vital study for some of the limitations in that study. They're not picking patients who are deficient to begin with. They're not titrating the normal range. They're just picking a general population and supplementing them. And so some of us have concerns about that, whether they're taking the patients who really need vitamin D who are deficient, because if you're already normal, I personally don't think you're going to help that group as much. And a recent editorial in JAMA suggested the same thing. And then you want to make sure you get them into the normal range, that, uh, and it might take more than 2,000 units in some patients and so forth. So there's room for a lot of, I think, additional research effort in that field. Well, I'm going to ask you now to look your primary care doc in the eye, or specialist for that matter, and advise them on the evaluation of patients who might be vitamin D deficiency, both in terms of diagnosis and treatment. That's a challenging and controversial uh, question, and I must say up front, I think several points of view could be taken from simply ignoring it except for, you know, general health care suggestions, uh, get plenty of exercise, do a lot of it outdoors, eat a balanced diet, drink milk, supplement of vitamin D, to, on the other hand, saying, you know, we have enough evidence now that there is a strong association and that supplementation is inexpensive and uh, is not toxic, at least within the limits of dosing I've mentioned, that in those patients where uh, their lifestyle or their risk factors or their disease diagnoses go along with vitamin D deficiency and there's enough basic science evidence that this hormone is essential to vital functions in many organs of the body, that I'm going to put them on it. I'm going to let them know that the proof isn't there, but I think it's safe. And until we have the evidence, I'm going to select those patients out, make sure they're not vitamin D deficient, and then put them on a supplement program, as I mentioned, while we're waiting for the evidence to come out in the next five years or so. We've been talking with Dr. Jeffrey Anderson about the link between vitamin D deficiency and cardiovascular disease. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being our guest today. Delighted to be with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.